Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival. I'm your host, John Brooks, and with me as always is co-host Kevin Miller. Hey! All right. We're, we're going with that one then. <laughs> Man, I love that. Uh, I love our little intro music uh, from Ben Gulliver. Um, just uh, such cool music that Ben created for us for the podcast. And uh, rumor has it he'll be here in June uh, when we screen his new documentary film, Hail Mary, about Ballroom Stack. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully Ballroom can make it too. Um, we haven't made any sort of formal announcement, but, you know, that's a rumor right now. So we'll spread our own rumors. How about that? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. We'll go a little more TMZ this episode. But yeah. um, speaking of that, we are super excited to talk to the TMZ of the surf world today, uh, David Lee Scales. And uh, really, I think you'd have to include jazz in there as well. But we are only going to talk to David today. Absolutely, yeah. We have a nice little last-minute fill-in. We were supposed to talk to Greg Browning today, um, but uh, as you'll find out during the podcast, it just uh, didn't work out. But um, the uh, the the infamous David Lee Scales came, you know, to our rescue last minute to join us, and uh, I found it to be a uh, rather enlightening podcast. Oh, it was fantastic. Just like a lot of things, when you don't uh, plan and or over plan. Things just kind of happen the way they should, and yeah, it was fantastic. We had a great chat with David Lee and uh, got some insight into how he got started in the podcasting world and uh, some of his ins and outs of uh, daily life uh, while being opposite the mic with jazz, which is a job in in and of itself. Well, yeah, that and uh, running another podcast and then another and then starting a network where he's doing the back end, and this is all going to be... I don't know, news to some of you, but he is, if not already, he is the uh, the biggest podcaster in the surf world at this point, and, you know, more good things to come. So we'll get right into it, but before we do, we want to say a quick thanks to all the fans that joined us for the Ben Gravy world premiere of For the Dream. I know some of you may be looking to see that movie if you haven't or didn't make it to the festival, so we'll keep you posted on that on Instagram and all the uh, outlets we have. When it does become available, it might be a few you know months before it actually is out there, and we were fortunate enough to have a, a quick view of it, and as well as Peter Hamblin's Sweet Adventure, we'll give you some updates on that. What a wonderful movie that was, that Black Betty scene. Yeah, yeah, and the chopper it makes me want to go to El Salvador. Yeah, for sure. 
So thanks to those guys for coming and bringing all the producers and cast members that uh, were part of those big projects and uh, making it a very special February event. We really appreciate it. So that's uh, that said, John, anything else? No, let's just enjoy a chat with David Lee. behind the condo there here wait should we record this oh you're now recording oh it yeah. is recording yeah okay no yeah, no let's yeah get up on it kevin's out surfing and looks off in the distance and sees what he hopes to god is a brick of cocaine and unfortunately it just turns out to be a yeti cooler but no this, way yeah it's like a yeti 50 that with like a the cushion on the top with a name, what was it? Uh, it was like an ad- an address. It was like a, ro- a street address in a city, Maryland. Yeah, it says Brian's Road, Maryland. Brian with a Y. And, you know, I haven't looked at the serial number yet, but I did talk to the Yeti folks. And I'm pitching a social media blast to say, let's find the owner of this cooler and uh, record like a little mini documentary on, you know, how they lost it. Maybe have them fly them down to the festival in June, give them back their cooler. And then, well, you know, give them a new one at the same time. That's an epic story. Although um, he was wishing that it was a brick of cocaine, the Yeti might be more valuable than a brick of cocaine. (laughs) Oh, for sure. It's for sure. More expensive. There's Um, no way I would know how to fence a cooler, a 50 quart or 50 ounce (laughs) cooler or whatever it is. It would still be a good story. Um, have you heard, it just happened recently again, but Kelly Slater has lost a couple of surfboards at sea that end up showing up somewhere far away. I have heard about that. There was one, I think it was just this past season, his leash plug like ripped out of the board and then somebody found it on the other side of the island, like on the South shore in Ala Moana or something, or maybe they were sailing out of Ala Moana and they were offshore and they came across a surfboard and they're like, what the heck? Pull yeah. it up and it's Kelly's. Yeah, the I, the one I saw, I think he was uh I think he said he was surfing at Haleiwa. And uh but you know, huge huge chunky swell at Haleiwa, leash plug rips out and then yeah, they found it on their sailboat. I think they said it was like 2 or 3 miles from land just floating out in the odds? middle of the ocean. Like that's not crazy. Was there anything in the Yeti? <laughs> yeah, so I mean three plastic ice bags and uh, that's it but it did have a seat okay. cover that was still, still cold still cold <laughs> no, <laughs> I, w- I would like to say it was still cold but it was, it was not but the cushion on top that was snapped on it's a branded yeti white seat cushion because you yeah. know right and then that was full of water and, and and it was probably adding easily 10 pounds to the weight of the cooler so I yeah. tried to like squeegee it out, you know, squeeze out all the water once I got to the beach. And of course, all the, you know, retirees on the beach were coming up to me and asking me about it and got a few laughs. And uh, but yeah, so I brought the cooler up to the condo with uh, considerable effort. It was actually, you know, pretty heavy to drag my well to carry my mid length one and uh, <laughs> and to drag my new Yeti cooler uh, over probably 500 yards on the sand. Yeah. Um, well, 
not to move away from Yeti, but I would like to say that I get a little bit of delight when I got your text this morning, because as being one of the first surf podcasters and seeing a bunch of other people get into podcasting, I quietly uh, wait for them to run into the same stumbling blocks that I've struggled with for years and years now, scheduling with people who work in the surf industry being one of them <laughs> and being left hung to dry, like rearranging your day and then being left hung to dry with 10 minutes left and the guest opts out because of something else. Well, I mean, the reason the reason why you bring that up is we were supposed to interview Greg Browning today and he legitimately has a work uh, like colleague that that had something happen. Some kind of emergency. Yeah, it, uh, uh, we, we wish everybody well on that front. But clearly it's normally not the case. And I would say with. Uh, so 23 episodes in, we have zero uh people that have canceled on us which is some kind of miracle right yeah we've actually had a pretty good track record on that end and uh yeah i don't know what to attribute that to well give it some time give it some time i mean literally (laughs) literally mark cunningham who i published an episode with two or three weeks ago that's been in the work for three years Wow. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And I mean, the, the kind of joke though, is, and not necessarily with Mark, but the joke is just surf industry people are, uh, would rather be surfing, you know, like they're notoriously oh, yeah. um, lax in their scheduling. I mean, well, I mean, that's not to say we were just talking about the podcast, but we've had some incredible cancellations last minute in the festival, like where filmmakers yeah. call us up the week before. And they say, oh, whoa, 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 don't show the movie because we think we might get into Sundance. And we're like, dude, we've been promoting your movie for the last two months. And um, I, don't, I mean, that doesn't happen very much anymore because people are, are better with us now. It doesn't yeah. hurt that I'm a CPA and uh, my organization skills are in the 4.5 to 5 star range, I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and say. And I will. Out of 10? That's will, terrible. Back, yeah, out of 10. Out of 10. But I will batter the shit out of people until I know what's happening. And, you know, Derek, the, like one of the things that really threw me for a loop was Derek Hine being at the gate in Los Angeles with you. You're sitting there yeah. staring at them, at him. You get on the plane and then I get a text from Derek saying, uh, I missed my flight, mate, and yeah. I'm going to be on the red eye tonight. And yeah we still to this day have no idea why he didn't get on that plane. He was for sure. Know, and, on he, it. and he did make the festival, which is also the other part. It's kind of like, okay, he's trying to avoid it or he's, or he's so, um, I don't know, scattered. If he didn't make that first flight, there's no way he's going to make a red eye. You know what I mean? But he ended up making it. So that's kind of makes it even more confusing, but yes, or if I wasn't there to confirm that he was in the airport, you would have just thought that he was lying. And he said that he was at the gate, but he missed his flight. But in reality, he was sleeping in a hotel room or something like that. Yeah, I'm telling you, he was he was at the gate before me. I showed up, I saw him and I'm like, oh, that's Derek Hine. I'll talk to him at some point. And then they call, I'm boarding the flight. I'm standing in line and I look over and he's leaning against a post uh, typing on his computer. I'm like, oh, I guess he just doesn't want to wait in the line. He's going to be the last one on the flight or whatever. Then I get on the flight and I see the doors closed and he never gets on the flight. And I'm like, huh, 
maybe I just didn't notice he got on the flight. I'm sure he's on it, you know? Well, you you did point out that while you were sitting there, they made the offer for uh, credit for anybody mm. who wanted to go on a later flight, right? That's so like, right. What the hell is he going to do with an American Airlines credit in, you know, Byron Bay, Australia? I have no idea. But yeah. clearly the, you know, the guy That's made right. it. And it was an unreal um, thing to have. Derek at the podcast. In fact, in the intro to our discussion with you today, we we talked about your comment to us after after the festival that that was probably up until that time one of the best podcasts you had ever recorded, and we were so oh, yeah. honored to have that happen at the festival. You want to hear the best? I don't know if I've ever told this story on air, um, but obviously he's an icon, and I don't know that might have been two thousand and eighteen. So I had four years of podcasting under my belt, you know, but it wasn't the, the medium's grown a lot since 2018 till now at that time, it was still really small. So Derek had no idea who I was. He probably didn't even know what a podcast was, but he and I were driving to the beach and we get to the gate where you pay to go onto the beach. And the kid who's taking money at the gate, who doesn't even look like he surfs. He just looks like a random kid working at the beach. He looks over and he kind of like takes a double take. And I think he's looking at Derek Hind. And then he goes, I hand him my credit card to pay. And he sees my name on it. And he goes, oh my God, you're David Scales. And Derek Hind looks over at me and he's like, what? He goes, you, I listen to your podcast all the time. The kid had no idea who Derek was, but he knew who I was. So we drove away and I'm dying laughing. And Derek's like, I guess podcasting's all the rage. Like everybody wants me to do it this weekend. You guys are talking about it. I had no idea. Apparently you're a big deal. I was like, no, this is, happens to be the one kid who listens, you know? Yeah, that's, go ahead, John. Oh, that, that's epic. Um, and I just, I got to make a quick side note and say that yeah. once again, Kevin has pointed out his profession as a CPA, which is a, a running tally <laughs> in our podcasts. Uh, no, I mean, uh, Macaluso, who's our graphic designer, uh, when he hears this, he'll m- most definitely burst out laughing. He's the one that has the, the tally going every, you know, out of 24 podcasts. I, I usually mention it at least once. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. So dude, that, that was a great time. I thought, you know, when he paddled out at the inlet after having fixed his dings at our friend's ding repair shop, basically a fact surfboard factory, um, with, I think it was even sun cure that he just brushed them up with, but the board was already like a mid-link finless beat up beater anyway. So, yeah. um, I kind of thought he'd be writing some pristine, you know, beautiful thing, but, uh, he paddled out and your description of Derek was the best. It was, he looked like a homeless grandma who <laughs> had a short John on with a Lycra underneath it, a hooded Lycra. Yeah. And, um, he proceeded to paddle out to like the main sort of point at the inlet. Not that there is one, but he stroked into this right-hander that was probably chest high and did these amazing sort of thinless friction free, you know, glides over the face. And I think anybody who is watching him was in doubt whether or not the guy could even stand up. And then he's doing the, um, some of the most progressive surfing, you know, ever seen at the, at the inlet. So. And all I remember was just him taking off and then seeing him kick out like a mile down the beach, just the longest ride ever, you know? Um, So kind of not to control the conversation and segue, but it's what I, (laughs) it's the role I'm used to playing. Um, 
I recorded a podcast this week with Albie Falzon. Nice. Oh, nice. How'd it go? And that all came it really good. It all came together because of a connection you guys made. Um, obviously, Justin Mish, who produced Spoons with Wyatt, is responsible for the remastering, the 50, 50th anniversary remastering of Morning of the Earth. And so I've kept in contact with him a little bit since I met him at the film festival. And um, he reached out and was like, dude, we're going to drop this thing. We'll send you a book. But also, if you're ever interested in talking to Albie, you know, I would love to see that happen. So he facilitated that conversation. That's beautiful. And I don't know. I can't remember. I don't think you were at the event where we showed the film. No, um, it wasn't. You were, yeah, your impending fatherhood was either about to happen or had just happened. Um, but yeah, arguably one of the coolest things that I think that we have gotten to experience uh, was during that show. And at the end of the screening for Morning of the Earth, uh, we had Justin and Wyatt there and they came up and we talked a little and then we literally just pulled out Justin's phone and called Albie in Australia and put the phone up to the microphone. And he we had a full conversation where people asked questions and he wow. dialogued with the crowd via phone. Uh, and yeah, it, it was amazing. He was describing like his porch where he was sitting at his house and the birds that were there. And it, it was incredible. That's epic. How did the pod, you said the podcast went well and uh, did Derek, Derek's name come up at all as, as a tie in or was it just a segue? No, we didn't talk about Derek at all. Um, yeah, it went very, very, very well. And I just, there's certain people in the surf world whose names are just kind of omnipresent, but I don't feel any right to reach out to them for some reason to ask them for an interview. You know, and I mean, Mark Cunningham kind of is one of those guys, I would say, but um, Albie Falzon is one of those guys as well. And then I, when I think about it, it's like, oh, I probably know people who know them. So I could go ahead and ask and they'd be flat. Maybe they'd be flattered to uh, be invited, even if they don't want to participate. You know, there's no harm in asking. And then over the years, even if I don't reach out, something organic develops, like what happened with Justin at your guys' film fest. And um they always say like not to meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you. I found the opposite is true in that these people are just so down to earth. And with Albie specifically, he completely embodies the ethos of that film that he made 50 years ago. He's been living, I don't know if it's vegan, but certainly a vegetarian lifestyle for 40 years, practicing yoga, study meditation for 25 years, all about environmentalism kind of lives a little bit, you know, off the grid as much as possible, still surfs every single day into his seventies. You know, he's like 76 now. Um, and he speaks like a guru. He speaks in parables, you know, it's crazy. That's the, that's the impression we got. And, you know, we got to have a little tech rehearsal. We tried to do a Skype with him in the theater with a visual, but his Wi-Fi signal wasn't good enough to support it. But, you know, the phone call was excellent. And, what a cool story. I'm glad you got to interview him too, because uh, obviously I'm looking forward to that. So, um, you know, the reason why we do this podcast and I know you're short on time today, but it's called surf stories for a reason. And I'm wondering if in the conversation that we're having, if you have anything that sticks out or if it does come up while we're talking that you're like, Oh, this is a great story. Let's put this one on record and uh, you can let us know. Um, but I do feel like the 
uh, origination of the Grit podcast, which is very popular with Charlie and Chaz Smith. And you guys have um, sort of become, I don't know if National Enquirer is the right uh, publication to compare to, but like something like that. And uh, he he's very hateable and very likable um, for some people. And he's usually a, 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 you know, love or hate kind of guy. But can you tell us a little bit about how that podcast came up and uh, what effect that has had on your other work um, in general? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say, starting kind of at the end, he's become less hateable, I think. And I don't, maybe I can take some responsibility for tempering him a little bit. I think um, old age, older age has tempered him a little bit. I think raising a kid has tempered him a little bit. I think he used to play a persona. I mean, he still does to a degree, but he used to play it a lot harder. And ultimately it becomes very difficult to continue to play a persona. It just, it becomes a burden, you know? And so it's just easier to be yourself if you're going to be doing it week after week after week. Um. And so the funny thing is my mom and dad listen to all of my podcasts every single week, which is still shocking to me. And um, so my mom recently said about him, she goes, God, I could not stand him, you know, but for years and years she would listen and she couldn't stand him. And she's like, now he kind of makes sense. Like he'll start developing a point and it's like, oh, that's actually pretty rational and reasonable. And uh, he's less hateable now. So the fact that my mom has embraced him is kind of a big deal. Um, so how it started, though, was I started Surf Splendor as like a long form interview podcast in 2013. And then at some point, Scott Bass, who I do a show called Spit With, he was doing a news show. So I'm doing long form interviews in 2013. He was doing a news show, but it had, it had transitioned platforms a bunch of different times. Cause he's not tech savvy. He was working for surfer magazine. So he was, they were producing it for him originally. Then when he left surfer, they discontinued it. So he continued doing his own version. And I think it was on terrestrial radio in San Diego. And then that deal ended. So then he tried to get it on podcast platforms, but he was kind of, you know, it was just real, hit and miss. So I knew I could provide tech background uh, production for him. And I needed, I realized our listeners wanted news updates in the surf world, not just long form interviews. So I reached out to him. I think it was also 2013 and just said, maybe 2014, but I just said, Hey, maybe we start recording co-hosting episodes together. There's no need to create like a, you know, uh, ownership agreement, but like, we'll just record together. You can publish on your feed. I'll publish on my feed and we'll just go from there. And so it real, it started real organically. And eventually he just kind of stopped publishing on his feed. Cause he didn't want to, you know, he didn't have the tech savvy. And then I, um, delineated that into a secondary podcast under our umbrella. And then at some point I interviewed Chaz for, uh, his first book, welcome to paradise. Now go to hell. So that was a long form interview on surf splendor, but I realized he had a lot more to say and his platform of beach grit didn't really allow him, you know, uh, a lot of the, I don't know, latitude or whatever that he wanted to express the things that he was thinking about in surfing. 
So I pitched the idea to him of doing a co-hosted podcast, but the vibe was already, it was just organically very different than the one that I do with Scott. Scott's a little more predictable, pragmatic, and news-focused. Chaz wants to vamp and uh, root, discuss rumor and gossip and all that sort of stuff. So I leaned into how those things were different, but I realized kind of at that point that that's exactly what magazines had been doing all along and magazines had been slowly going away. But if you went through the pages of a magazine, a surf magazine, there was a long form interview with a surf luminary. There was then a section that covered contests and news. There was then like a gossipy section, maybe told you whose sponsors were changing and all that sort of stuff. Uh, show a photo of who might be dating who or something like that. So I'm like, man, we're just kind of recreating the magazine model, which was eroding, but we're doing it in this other medium. And um, so each show, I think there's a lot of overlap. And by the way, those are the three shows my voice is on. But along the way, other people have reached out and said that they want to get into podcasting. And as I've brought sponsors on, I said, well, I can do some of the back end production for you and play sponsors if you'd like. And we can kind of distribute it through this network that we've created. So the Brewer brothers, uh, Tyler Brewer and Jamie Brewer have a show that's now called Hardcore Surf History that we kind of distribute for them. Um, Donald Brink is, is a surfboard shaper. He was doing a show for a while. He hasn't produced an episode in a while. And then Scott Bass now has his own interview show called The Boardroom Podcast, which supports his trade show which is the boardroom. So all of that, I distribute and place advertising on for them as part of the network. And um, so as it relates to Chaz though, uh, it was an interesting dynamic. He would be a provocateur. That was kind of the role that he played at the beginning of the show for years. And it took a while for us to develop a rapport, but I let him just say whatever he wanted for a while because I thought that was a little more interesting. But the reality was, I think he's better if I push back on them, push back on his ideas because a lot of his ideas are just stupid, you know? <laughs> and so then if I sit there and co-sign him, I kind of sound stupid too. And so to one of your questions is how does that affect me? Well, you know, I'd probably have more sponsors if I hadn't uh, partnered with Chaz at some point. And our rapport. So now that I push back on him, turns out he is smart. He is a critical thinker, so he can defend his points. There was probably a period of time where he just didn't defend them because he didn't, he didn't expect me to push back. Now we've gotten to the point where he expects pushback. He knows how to defend his points. I'm fine playing the opposite part and defending my points. And it's a much better show now. And I did. So there is a story. I don't know if we really discussed this on air, but we lost a full year of sponsorship from betterhelp.com. They signed on for a year in advance. It was the most kind of money commitment that I had ever seen from a sponsor. It was a big deal. And within one month, they canceled the sponsorship because of something that Chaz said. And um, that hurt. But I kind of thought, you know what? Sponsors come and go. And like, Ultimately, five years from now, that amount of money will not have affected us in one way or the other. My eyes on the end goal, and it's a nominal amount of money in the end. But I think the work that we're doing and the things that we're talking about, nobody else is talking about in the surf space. And there's the listeners want to hear that. So our first obligation is to the listeners, not the sponsors. 
And if we ever start crafting the content to betterhelp.com, who isn't even in the surf industry, then we've gone the wrong way, you know? And so I'm just going to let that go. I'm going to tell Chaz, he needs to be careful and like step a little bit more gingerly when possible, but I'm not going to edit him. And he's smart enough to know when to do those things. And so I feel bad that I lost that money, but whatever it is, what it is, there'll be more money down the road. And if we stay kind of focused on what the listeners want and catering to the audience, there's certainly the finance part will work itself out. Yeah, certainly. And I think uh, like, as you were mentioning um, with how podcasting and, and your podcast in specific um, has kind of replaced what we were getting from the surf magazines over the years. Um, and I think that's maybe where some of the surf magazines went wrong was they started yeah. creating their and crafting their content based around the sponsors. And it just became, you know, not, not to, uh, not to coin Chaz's phrase, but it became that wall of positive noise of like yeah. surfing's awesome and it's great. Nothing ever goes wrong. And, um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, I can't imagine, uh, one of the surf publications coming out and doing a story on Andy, you know, when he was going through what he was going through and, and actually talking about what was happening there. And, and that's something that I, I feel like you guys especially do in, in your podcast is you, you, uh, you bring the information and you bring the news, but you bring those things that people actually want to talk about, actually want to hear about. Unfiltered. But yeah, they, yeah, they're a lot of times people are like, Ooh, we can't talk about that. But that's just well, something I admire from you guys. Thanks. I mean, we're wrong all the time or we'll spill some gossip or rumor that ends up to be wrong later. And so it's most, the reason why a lot of other people don't do it is because they don't want to be wrong. And if they're beholden to some sort of corporate entity, then they'll be held accountable and maybe lose their job or lose that money that they were planning, the sponsor dollars or whatever. And so us being able to kind of shirk all that allows us to be wrong. And I think that we've developed enough rapport with the audience that they know that whatever we're saying comes with a grain of salt or comes with, it might be a rumor and we might clear it up next week or whatever. And that's a comfortable place to be in. Yeah. That, and that's, I mean, that, that breeds authenticity. And I think that's probably one of the more accurate words to describe uh, what you guys do is that it's authentic because you aren't afraid to be wrong. And in, in the world of marketing, that doesn't exist very much. Nobody's ever yeah. willing to admit like, Hey, that thing I said last week, it's totally wrong. But last week, that was all the information I had. And so that's why I said it. And so it's just well, refreshing to see that. Totally. And part of what has allowed us to do that is setting up a subscription model for people. And uh, thank you, Florida Surf Film Festival for being a long-term subscriber, by the way. But that allows us to operate independently and to make sure that our focus is always on the audience because the audience is now funding the business. Uh, they're, we honestly look at them like they're investors in the business. And so you make decisions for the shareholders, you know, and we are, we have since brought on um, sponsors as well, but a lot of them aren't surf industry sponsors and a lot of them don't care what we're talking about, you know? And so that's almost even better is they're really not listening they don't care if we get a rumor wrong or whatever. It doesn't affect their business as long as we're getting downloads. And so in the, the industry, the relationships that we do have with surf brands in the industry, Need Essentials, Real Water Sports, NVS Fins, 
Um, there's probably a couple others. Slow Tide Towels. They know. They completely, they're also small brands that are independent and they completely know and understand what we're doing and our vision. So there's never any confusion, you know? So it's worked out. Well, that's great. And I appreciate you pushing back on Chaz too, because I am that audience member who is like, that's fucking horseshit, man. And (laughs) I want to come through the mic and, and call them out and, and just say, you know, but you, you are doing better at that. I do agree that in the beginning there was, uh, there was too much of like, you can't let them get away with that. Come on, let's, let's say something. So the pushback has been welcome. And I do think it's a better podcast for that reason, but also because Chaz has become more vulnerable on air too, you know, to yeah. he's, he's not so, um, I think to the, to the persona, you know, even when he was being completely, uh, just like playing that provocateur role yeah. and I wasn't pushing back. I realized in those moments too, that, uh, Tom Likas had a career of people hate listening to him, Howard Stern, largely rush limbaugh largely so even though i'd get hate mail about Chaz, i'm like huh that person has emailed me from for six months straight with a bunch of hate mail which means they're still listening you know and so as long as Chaz is the villain i'll let him the hate mail comes to me but ultimately it's directed at Chaz, and we're not losing listeners the listenership was always growing that's great I, i think one of the one of my favorite scenes from howard stern's movie is when the uh when when the person who's reporting the ratings to uh pig vomit who plays who's played by uh, i can't remember paul um anyway uh he comes in and says the people who love howard listen to him on average at 25 minutes a day the people who hate him listen on average 45 minutes a day or something <laughs> like that and totally you know and part but part of his charm has become the uh, the fact that we've all gotten to know him better um, he has shown who is behind the persona uh, quite a lot now. And uh, even though he does like to ruffle feathers, he, he has some um, salient points. And, uh, you know, sometimes two or three months later, we look back and go, wow, he was right on the money. And so was Dave. Yeah. You know, about. Well, it, so there's having a thick skin. I've learned early on, like, you just have to have a thick skin and weather some of these temporary storms. And so there's going to be pushback from the audience, but if you bend and adjust every time there's pushback from the audience, you're never going to kind of achieve your goal and you're, they're only going to start pushing harder, you know? And so I realized there's value in having a thick skin and being able to deal with some of the flack because like I said earlier, we are kind of telling things, stories that aren't being told in surfing And I think that that's highly important too. Um, There needs to be, so there, journalism doesn't really exist in surfing. As John pointed out, magazines for decades were just kind of glorified press releases for five big brands. The interviews were because with, if they picked a pro surfer to profile, it's because they had a sponsor who was advertising in the magazine, that sort of stuff. But journalism in the way that it exists in politics or um, entertainment doesn't exist in the surf world. And I don't think that Chaz has like the journalistic rigor or training that those other journalists have, but he operates 
from a place of wanting to kind of disrupt power like those people have. And I think that that's valuable in surfing and that we haven't really seen that. And he's able to do it because, you know, he's not getting paid by one of the magazines. So, but he's still integrated into the industry. So he gets rumors. We hear all the same gossip, all that sort of stuff. And he's willing to talk about it and even be wrong about it and get vilified for it because of the thick skin thing. And I think that my original point is that is important for surfing. That's actually better for surfing. That helps move surfing forward. That helps uh, hold brands accountable for their feigned sustainability. It helps hold pro surfers who are glorified by every other person around them who only hear yes all the time. It finally allows them to hear a no occasionally. It finally allows, and I think that makes them a better surfer. I think that makes them chase the world title harder, all that kind of stuff. So I'd rather be, you know, friends with Kelly Slater and all that sort of stuff, but I'm never going to be friends with Kelly Slater. That's not a reality. So I'd at least like to speak openly and critically about the things that are obvious and that nobody else is stating. That's too bad. Cause we're really good friends with Kelly Slater over here. We play <laughs> golf and stuff, but <laughs> I know I saw the photos. Yeah. If yeah. If you don't post it on Instagram, it, it didn't, didn't happen. happen. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's right. But no, to your, to your point of what you were saying about Chaz and um, I think uh, whether Chaz realizes it or not, his persona for a long time was kind of his barometer for the people that he interacted with and for the surf industry as a whole, like, and the fact that you're starting to push back on him, you're doing to him exactly what he did to everyone else. And that, you know, he came in with this persona and just challenged everything. And a lot of people just kind of bowed down to that or not bowed down, but just kind of cowed away from that because they were just intimidated by the persona. And yep. but I think that's that's a way without getting too philosophical. I think that's a way that Chaz measures things and people. You know, he 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 wants to see if you'll challenge him uh, and he'll come out real strong and real aggressive. But he wants to see if you'll, you know, try to talk him back or talk him down. And uh, now that you guys are doing that in a more like synergistic way on the podcast, it's it's uh, it's obvious. Like you can really see the, the energy um, and how you guys play off each other's is great. You're right, though. The people who have pushed back on him end up becoming allies. Yeah. yeah. And as well, like just to sort of go a different direction with the podcast, too, is I do really appreciate having the adjacent stuff talked about. Not even adjacent, just straight up, you know, what TV series are you watching? Yeah. You know, because for some reason, I find your and his sensibilities as a not a guidepost necessarily, but a nice little reference point kind of like a friend uh would say hey this tv series is good you know that kind of thing but when you guys go completely off topic on surfing or of surfing it's wonderful i think just the rapport in general has been a welcome addition to my commute to new smarter beach and getting uh and getting home and you know thanks for doing all that and uh you know keep up the good work thank you keep up the work is the latest slogan that people are using because somebody said it at one point and i think it was like the fact that they didn't say good was telling but they're just like keep up the work like we're here every week 90 percent of it's going to be wrong 90 percent's not that entertaining but we're here every week for you so we're going to keep up the work all right do you have a surf story for us 
that you've been thinking about as we've been talking here? No, I completely forgot to think about it because I was distracted by talking. Um, I saw on LinkedIn that you had something to do with uh, a Quicksilver film at one point, or was it a TV series? Yeah, yeah. We, we usually get stories in and around filmmaking and producing or you that's know, true. That and what, okay, was your, that's what were your aspirations to do that? You know? Okay. That's a good intro. I can't believe this has never come up considering that you guys are in the film fest biz. But yeah, I kind of started or entered into the surf uh, industry through video production. I wouldn't even call it filmmaking because it was very, you know, like short clips and stuff, but filming surfing. So I grew up surfing, uh, started surfing when I was 12 and fully loved it. And a lot of, and like spent all my time before school, after school, all that stuff, getting to the beach. And so a lot of the people that I would see at the beach who maybe later became friends uh, in Orange County, Brett Simpson, um, guys whose names they now work in the industry, I'd see those guys and they were kind of going off to become professional surfers or team managers and working in the space. And I knew that I wasn't that good of a surfer. So I went in a different direction, went to college, ended up working in the wine business. But when I was getting out of the wine business, I was still surfing a ton. And um, reconnected with a lot of those people and started filming. You know, if the waves are good, I'd surf. But if the waves were crappy and it's December, Brett Simpson's still paddling out. Kanoa Igarashi, who was eight years old at the time, was still paddling out. And so I started bringing a camera with me and just filming their sessions and then giving the clips to them after the fact. And I started a little blog called One Hour in HB because I'd usually have an hour before I had to get to work. And it was like, everybody who goes to the beach and surfs wants to know who got the best waves that day, uh, what the waves were like that day, who was ripping, all that sort of stuff. And I'd always make an effort to get that morning session edited and posted by the afternoon so that you could see what happened that morning at the beach. Mm. And uh, it had a little following. I mean, blogs were in their early days. So, um, and by the way, everybody comes through Huntington beach, you know, like, so at some point Dane Reynolds would show up and I just happened to be on the beach. Cause I was there every single day, Julian Wilson, Kelly Slater, everybody. And, um, so quick, the way the Quicksilver factored in was Quicksilver. Chad Wells was the team manager for Quicksilver at the time. He was kind of ushering Kanoa into the fold and, uh, He's like, hey, man, since you're on the beach with a camera, we will give you a monthly retainer just to push record anytime one of our team writers catches a wave. And then you could just give that footage to us. If you want to publish it on your blog, that's benefit for us as well. So you could do that as well. But, you know, Julian's going to be coming to town or Clay Marzo is going to be coming to town and we'll let you know so that you're at the right spot with those people. So that's how I started kind of in video production and was able to transition out of the wine business into the surf world. But um, I would be listening to podcasts while I was filming all that stuff. And this was the earliest days of podcasting. So I had a iPod Nano that I had to transfer the podcasts onto because you didn't have Wi-Fi at the beach. So I'd at home at night download whatever podcasts were available, which were very few. There was This American Life, The Moth. Adam Carolla had been kicked off terrestrial radio. And so he was publishing his as a podcast, his show, 
Mark Marin, I think had his. And so I download those onto the podcast or onto the iPod thingy and then go to the beach and listen. And while I'm filming surfing, I'm like, man, I would love to hear a podcast about surfing. While I'm filming with these pro surfers, I'm interacting with these people in the surf industry now. So I should just start recording interviews with these people. And um, so I did. And I used my video camera because I didn't have audio equipment, but I had a really nice video camera that had a really nice microphone on it. So my first probably 40 episodes, you know, I show up at Aaron Chang's gallery, set up a camera and directed at him. And then he never, and then I never publish a video. And he's like, whatever happened to that video? And I'm like, no, Aaron, you don't get it. I was only there to capture the audio, you know? <laughs> he's like, why wouldn't you use the video? And I'm like, cause that's not, it exists on your phone, on your iPod. Like nobody wants the video. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the transition into podcasting. And I still had a love for filmmaking. I grew up loving surf videos. I love film in general, but I realized that's not my medium to work with. And I, one hour in HB, I probably did 300 plus little video pieces, but I ran out of things to say in that medium. It was like Huntington beach only has so many different looks. The waves only change so many different ways. I've covered it all. And I don't know how to continue telling this story. I was bored with it, but I felt like in the podcast medium, and by the way, I could then go tell other stories or travel around the world and make films, but all of that was already being done in ways that was very satisfying to me. I didn't feel like I could leave some different imprint on the filmmaking world, surf filmmaking world, but I was like this podcast medium, I feel very comfortable having conversations and I feel like I'm getting stuff out of these luminaries that doesn't exist anywhere in the surf world. And so this can be my little contribution back to surfing because there was no business model, obviously, at the time. So I was like, surfing's been great to me. I love it. Here's a little kind of art project that I could do that'll just be my little gift back to surfing. And um, if 20 people happen to like it, then that's awesome. That's enough for me. And within those first few episodes, you know, 20 people started emailing me and they're just like, man, I've been listening to podcasts for the last two years and I can't believe there's now a surf one. I'm so grateful for this. And so that was kind of all the motivation I needed to keep going. Oh, that's great. And, uh, you know, I probably caught on to podcasts around 2013, Mark Marin sort of time frame, and mm-hmm. uh, didn't even think to search for a surf podcast, but uh, it's been serendipitous that we've had the opportunity to hang out with you and uh, get to be a part of the podcast at times when you visit. Um, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that I, I was excited, you know, to be on your podcast because it was definitely the one that I feel has, you know, the, the ability to get your, your voice out there. And, and I thought it was fun. I was a little Thanks. nervous too, because at the time, you know, never been recorded on any I know. format or medium. Now I, uh, I'm just as nervous sitting next to John and uh, trying to get through it. But I will say that you have a sweet mullet. The way your head lines up on camera, chair. it's the back of his chair. I know. So the back of your chair, if you put your head right in the middle, it looks that like is so a funny. really yeah. sweet mullet. And secondly, the way your microphone covers your white sweatshirt, it looks like you have this Jean-Claude Van Damme sort of like 
karate sort of situation going yeah like where hold it's on like, john let me let me line everything up. It, yeah there you go yeah. perfect there you go okay good. oh yeah that's epic it's fantastic um you know what's funny is my four month my four month old son has a mullet like the hair grows in the back for some reason maybe the part that doesn't hit the pillow when he lays right. his head at night everything else is thin but long hair in the back so we joke about that all the time uh, all right. Well, you're you're still in a sweet range with that little one. If you can kind of take them anywhere up until about five, six months, then they start crawling and investigating everything. But uh, how's it been so far as a, as a father? Pretty good. Pure delight. Good. It's everything everybody says, uh, but you don't fully appreciate until you do it yourself, of course. Uh, but we're we're living the dream, dude. Like Lauren's thirty nine. I'm forty, so we're old enough now to really be able to, we don't give a crap about going out to parties. We don't give a crap about going to dinner with friends, any of that. We're just thrilled to be able to be home with him. And um, so we're kind of soaking in every moment. And then our careers are settled enough to where we don't have to rush out the door to be at work at 8 a.m. So if he wakes up in the middle of the night, we have, we're kind of, we both want to be up with him. We're both trying to take the opportunity to spend those little moments with him as well. So it's a total delight. Yeah. Congratulations on the addition. And uh, we uh, just look forward to more uh, great interviews with Chaz and other people. Uh, keep up Thanks. the good work. And thank uh, you. Yeah. Thank you for validating the quality. Yeah, no, th- thanks so much, Dave. It's uh, what you guys uh, are doing and you specifically with the creation of Surf Blender was super inspiring and uh, it was uh, more than most of the inspiration that uh, Kevin and I had when we even thought about putting our voices uh, on recording. So thank you again for that. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are doing killer work as well. And I'm really looking forward to hearing from Greg Browning. He was not only did I love his films, um but he was one of my favorite surfers before he got into filmmaking that crazy layback that he would do the one foot attached layback was just i could it would blow my mind as a kid i never aspired to do it because i knew it was beyond me but i just thought that was the most incredible thing ever yeah not not to give too much away from the podcast but i i I identify him as one of the earliest free surfers like the guy had legit competitive success he was on the u.s national team but he yeah. never really pursued the pro career, but he's still, he's getting covers and arguably he got more covers than a lot of guys that were on tour. And so like, yeah. he was kind of the same time as the Malloy's and that, but that, I mean, yeah, that guy was one of the original like free surfer guys that had a really successful career and longevity in the industry without ever chasing the tour and chasing points. So I, I, yeah, the, I just want to talk to him about that. For sure. Um, the combination of linking up with Mike Balzer photographer, was the key for him, like getting balls to sit on the pier morning light and shoot into the rights and him just doing a big fin free thing was just, that was gold. That was a cover shot every time, you know? And, and to go back to one of our favorite, you know, movies that we've talked about fifth symphony document. I think he played oh, a yeah. little role in that, you know, as well with Dorian and might've even helped shoot some of it. I don't know, but I think maybe not, he was just surfing in it, but either way, one of my favorites and, uh, it's just uh, going to be a good interview to cover the like the birth of the drive-through series, which even to this day, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to watch any of the new ones, but they're hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
is so does he make a living now as a filmmaker exclusively is uh he's listed as a independent filmmaker cinematographer content creator good for uh, him all around handsome guy yeah definitely <laughs> all right right well, on take, take care of yourself and we'll hopefully talk to you soon okay thanks guys Oh, man, I always love talking to David Lee. I do, too. The text and uh, the funny back and forth. Like last night, we were talking about the the latest article on the grid about the WSL studios shutting down and firing everybody three days before, two days before it actually was supposed to be made public. So talk about Scoop. Yeah, they're they're savvy at uh, underground information collecting is uh, second to none. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have some disgruntled people at some point leave a job and they may not buy into your plan for, you know, a particular press release date. (laughs) Who in their right mind would tell Chaz anything? I know. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) In in the surf world, I mean. I do feel like if I wanted to get something dirty out, uh, or not dirty, but you know what I mean. Like, if I wanted to get something that I felt was unjust out. That would be the first person I'd tell. He would be. Absolutely. And I could rely on his confidence, uh, you know, and his whatever, you know, just the fact that he would keep it confidential, I think. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I don't have anything even close to uh, impactful that would <laughs> no. make the grit. So, but other than that, uh, I thought the interview went well, as you were alluding to, and he is a wonderful, uh, you know, orator. Yeah, he's the reason that we, you and I are sitting here talking on microphones today. Yeah, that and our... Uh, persistence in uh making sure we want we want to be part of the conversation as it relates to surf stories and movies around you know stories around filming and stuff like that always seem to uh i don't know make the drive go a little easier john yeah yeah definitely and uh we're thankful that uh, david has provided some background and some advice and expertise to us over the years and uh so yeah we're thankful for that and for his ongoing role in having the best surf podcast out there yeah and thankful for our sponsors too uh over uh overdone the word thankful here but we want to know we want everybody to know that monster is responsible for making this festival what it is today along with rourke revival um apparel globe footwear atlantic center for the arts florida virtual school and the list goes on. You can find them on our website. It's just so nice to have that support from the community. Absolutely. Red Dog Surf Shop, uh, Buell Wetsuits, um, Dragon Sunglasses. It just goes on and on. Creatures of Leisure. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's, we got great support from uh, our sponsors and great support from you, the fans. And we want to thank you for that. And uh, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. You. Yeah.